This week's episode of Lawyer Up is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash lawyerup. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. What's up, Jackie Hearn? I think it's showtime. It is showtime. Welcome to the sixth episode of Lawyer Up. We're here to talk about uh, episode seven, titled Bingo. And first off, what did you think of the episode? Just quick recap of what you thought. I say this every week, but I absolutely loved it. And however, I don't think that you might agree, because I know how much you liked last week's episode, but I think by far for me... There was just so much about this character that came across that I think this is by far the best episode of the season so far. Because of the connection we finally make with Jimmy. Uh, we now know that he's actually a good person trying to do right. And and we'll get to that, but I, I mean... You you've pretty much said what I what I thought. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're really we're really synced up here. Uh, it's not the best of the season, but yes, it is still a really really good episode. Uh, just because last week is you know, it, it, last week was incredible. Uh, definitely. Yeah, Mike's whole uh, ordeal and legacy from you know traveling from Philadelphia to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico is just an unbelievable uh, hour of television. I agree. And it was so clever too, you know, so you've got to give it that as well. Like the, the, the way that he handled the police, but we talked about that last week. So yes, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that most people would say last week's was better than this one and would probably say it's the best, but I think this is the best because I'm really interested in getting this character of Jimmy slash Saul developed and to really know this person. You know what? I agree. And we'll kind of start off with kind of the main problem with uh, Jimmy and uh, Hamlin, Hamlin McGill and, and mm. the the big, huge, almost con uh, is Mike watching uh, the Kettleman's who are, you know, back in into the series after, you know, a couple episodes off. But uh, why, don't, why don't you kind of explain what what kind of stood out for you for that? Sure. Um, you know, honestly, I'm kind of surprised because, you know, a little bit of behind the scenes for our audio listeners is that we come up, come up with a little doc where we just kind of list what are our favorite episodes or scenes or, or just reactions to various parts of the show. And I was surprised that your number one wasn't this because I, I can't believe this wasn't everyone's number one. And it was the scene with Mike Outback. In the, behind the Kettleman's house, outside of the gate, eating apples off the tree, and listening to a, um, a baseball game while watching the Kettleman's. Uh, what I, I, okay, one of my favorite Hitchcock, my, actually, my favorite Hitchcock movie of all time is Rear Window. Uh, I don't know, are you familiar with that? Uh, Rear Window, no. Uh, just kind of Vertigo, The Birds. Yeah. Or, or the main, uh, the main movies. Sure, sure. Um, this one starred Jimmy Stewart and James Stewart and um, Grace Kelly. I, I went on a binge thing for a couple of years where I watched all of them, starting with the Cary Grant and James Stewart and Grace Kelly ones. 
Uh, but this one, uh, he, you know, he's an invalid or he's broke his leg. So he's stuck in his house and Grace Kelly comes in and brings him food every day or whatever. But he's got this big, huge window facing a hall, an apartment on the other side where he can just sit with his binoculars and watch everybody in every apartment unit. And it, it is the greatest. I, I, I love the movie. Anyways, if you haven't seen it, check it out. But it is exactly like this. And I've got to think that there was some kind of influence because there have been there a lot of films have tried to remake this movie, this classic movie, um, where you don't hear the dialogue. You can't hear what the people are saying, but you see them moving. So in this scene, we see the Kettlemans and they're playing uh, charades with the kids. And you can tell exactly what they're doing by, you know, their just their physical appearance and the, and the way they're moving their hands. And and then Mike delivers some money that has been uh, sprayed with some powder that you can see with the black light, which I didn't really quite get right away. So I, that's the other thing is I love the way they slowly reveal what Mike is up to. It's very, it was very visually of kind of unwinding, you know, saying, okay, mm -hmm. so this is happening and it's, well, what's going on? And then you're just like, whoa, this is happening because this is happening and therefore this is happening. And it is very nice for them to kind of to show what is going on specifically. I mean, first it, it seems like there Mike is trying to blackmail the Kettleman's just by, you know, Hey, look what I got. And you know, <laughs> the little because, pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. Cause at first I thought maybe he was just gonna, you know, with the pickup truck and all of a sudden it, the pickup truck's going to drive to Mike and something's going to happen there. But he just finds his money, and the money's found, and, you know, the Kettleman's kind of discuss this, and then you don't realize until they kind of jump cut almost to Mike having eaten, you know, 10 apples, and all of a sudden <laughs> he's going in the house. And it was just very – first off, the music is very – I don't know. Oh, great. I, I forget the beat because I, I just recently rewatched the episode. It was kind of like a 70s – No, I mean, I was going to say funk, but it wasn't funk. It was like – it definitely reminded me of, like, some of the music that used to play in some, like, uh, crime, you know, it, movies or television shows. Not – well, not that bad. <laughs> it was actually great music. But but it was it was that, that kind of, like, setting the pace, letting you know that something is up. It seemed very – I don't want to say upbeat, but it was very almost basic, but it, it had this kind of tension to it, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. It really did set the tone of like, okay, so Mike's going in, he's looking for something, oh, he finds his money, and it is absolutely visually and audio-listically, uh, not a word, but it's <laughs> un unbelievable, uh, that, that scene, and I'm sure you, you're like, oh, you know, why, why didn't you pick this? But I mean, it's... <laughs> It's very fun scene. Didn't, was it fun? Because what I find fun about it, which is what I found fun about the movie Rear Window, is it let, it let you be a voyeur. Um, we were the voyeurs into the Kettleman's house. And, you know, okay, so let, let's go back to the, the truck, the little toy truck with the money. At first, I thought that was all of the money that Saul was given by the Kettleman's as a retainer. At first, I thought that was his way of giving them the money back, but no, it was bigger than that. And um, so they find the money, Craig finds the money, and then he takes it inside the house. And then you could tell that they're sort of yelling at the kids 
about them messing with the money. You know, that, that they went and do you leave that money alone? You know, they, they sit them down on the couch and they're kind of pointing at them, but there's no dialogue, but you can completely tell. And then they send them off to bed after a night of charades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they, and then she goes immediately upstairs. So Mike knows where the money is somewhere upstairs in that corner. Yeah. And he uses his detective work, you know, with the spray of just like, okay, so he went here. I'm mm-hmm. just going to go here. It was almost like a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> they just like, oh, you know, there, go there here and and it was absolutely brilliant and the funny thing is is that uh this is a very small spoiler for for breaking bad but the there was something hidden in in a top in a top uh portion of of a cabinet and i thought oh it's gonna be at the top it was on the bottom after all the touching and and things like that and so i it's very it's very interesting of just kind of how with the little subtle things of just like, oh, you know, you think it's here, but it's actually down here. That, that's funny. I, I, that's funny that you thought that that might be a, a Breaking Bad spoiler. I don't think it is in any way. That doesn't definitely doesn't take away from the show Breaking Bad if you have not seen it. But but I, I see what you're saying that about money, like, you know, trying to hide it. Obviously, that's throughout all of the shows. But that, that's that's funny. I, I like I like how you connect that. And these... Uh... Like Mr. Old Mr. Kettleman is just a a dummy when it comes to uh, mm. laundering money. Just the the reaction, you know. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll probably get to it a little bit later. But just Kim. Oh, talk- I want to talk more about the Kettlemans. Okay, definitely, talk, I've got that later. So, but it, yeah, we we are going Kettleman, to talk Kettlemans. We'll keep a Kettleman related right now. But it Kim, they're in HHM Hamlin Hamlin McGill and. You know, Kim is explaining, hey, you know, you got to take this deal. It's pretty, you know, yeah, it's shitty. You're going to lose. But, you know, you, hey, only 16, 16 months. 16 months. 16 months, you know, whatever. And they they don't take it, which is very, very interesting. And I don't know what they need this money for or whatever. But, you know, she <laughs> literally lays it out of the line of just like you wrote checks to yourself to, to try and, you know, <laughs> Launder this money. Laundry, how does yeah. that make sense? You know, how does that not make you a prime suspect? Uh, yeah, and- it's almost as if Betsy Kettleman, uh, Mrs. Kettleman, she's totally in control and she really doesn't care if, if what happens to Craig, because she she's very careless, but she's very also very calculating, and but but it's it's as if it doesn't matter. They've got the money. He did his job. To get it for them, and it's they're going to keep it no matter what, you know. And it, yeah, I mean that their mistakes are pretty stupid, but she also doesn't really care if there's a threat of him going to prison for thirty years versus county jail for sixteen. Jail is jail to her. It doesn't matter if you're doing it, you know, at the county or at a you know supermax prism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it if you're in jail, it's it's jail it just because of the term jail that i don't know it just bothers her and the light that it'll portray for their family it's right it's very clear that betsy kettleman kind of wears the pants of the family uh because it seemed like he was ready just like well you know just gotta do my time and we'll be done but she was very quick to be like uh we made it clear that we weren't doing deals because we're not you know guilty or whatever and 
And he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm not guilty. Totally not guilty. I don't have his money. And she wore the pants in, in that situation. Oh, she wears them in every situation. Yeah. And <laughs> it, even even at the end, uh, she's like, no, I didn't do it. And, you know, whatever. It's uh, just the, the Kettlemans are probably the worst criminals uh, of all time. Uh, just because, you know, oh, yeah, we'll go camping and just take this money. Well, you know, also... You have something here, a comment that you wanted to make about a visual the cocoon uh, going to a dark place. What are you talking about? What do, please explain yourself. Sir. Uh, so uh, after Mike and and Jimmy have the conversation in the uh, parking lot after the cold open, uh, when we come back from commercial, mm -hmm. after we get out of there, and then we go into we go into Chuck's you know neighborhood, and you know Jimmy's car pulls up, and you can see. It, it's very, that's what it was yes very visually uh it's a cocoon it this caterpillar is making a cocoon and for those who who are very unfamiliar with cocoons or whatever uh you know this caterpillar ugly duckling almost esque that has to make this cocoon and once you know you're in that dark place you eventually you come out emerging it as this beautiful insect and basically this is jimmy kind of high getting his cocoon ready and uh getting mm -hmm. into his dark place uh, just because he will get you know at the end he he does the right thing turns in the kettleman's turn you mm -hmm. know gives back his money that he you know earned uh, and i use earned in quotation marks that and he's back to square one. And after doing all these good things and just wondering, mm -hmm. like, why can't I fucking catch a break here? And we're heading into Jimmy's dark place, his cocoon. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I think it's very clear that by the end of this season, you he will be just like Saul, like more than, you know, ever before. His direction is very clear that he's going to become this criminal lawyer. And right now, when you gotta, sometimes you have to have a messed up to have a, you know, a huge discovery. And, and that's, it is very interesting how they focused on the cocoon for, you know, just that, you know, split one second. I wondered what that was hanging from the tree. And I actually have in my notes, what is this hanging from the tree? I believe it is that, yeah, that. I, I was kind of – what is that thing hanging in the tree? Because, you know, I, I, did, I had a very few uh, – limited amount of time to do my second viewing where I actually write my notes. And so I couldn't really uh, go go all into it and stop it and frame. Although I did for something – another Easter egg that, that I want to talk about later, but that's okay. No, I, I think that's brilliant that you caught on to that, but I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, when you mentioned Cocoon – I kind of thought for a moment that you were going to reference the, I think it was sometime in the maybe circa 1986 or 87 film that I believe won some Academy Awards called A Cocoon, about an old folks home where there's actually a cocoon in the swimming pool and all the old people get in it and they become young again. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing that with the Twilight Zone. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, it's surprise, surprising when I looked up how to spell cocoon. That was the first thing that popped up. So <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Cause it's a, because of the elder law. I mean, <laughs> it's all perfect. Yeah, it, 
it really, you know, you could kind of relate this to Cocoon. Yes. A little bit. Yes. There must be something in there. You know, I, 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 I give total kudos to the creators and, and, the, and the writers that somebody planted that there because of what a cocoon represents, as you said. And then in addition to the popular culture reference of the retirement home <laughs> and the old becoming new again. It, it's uh, unbelievable. Just It seems like Jimmy has this connection with old people. Oh yes, he does. I love that. I I have. I, can I can I also say that I love that he. I wrote down that he. You know when he's doing the bingo. By the way, I love his soft colored suit. I love that he's Matlock. He's just so sweet. And then he he has the as they call it the Bob Barker microphone, which I know they talk about that in the Better Call Saul Insider. So I'm not going to go into that. But he's got the Bob Barker mic and 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 a woman wins and he says. Oh, we've got the lovely young lady in the back. And what do we have for her? And they have a notebook with a cat on it. And the woman goes on to talk about her two cats, Oscar and Felix. And I just thought that it was adorable. Now, one of them uh, doesn't wash themselves or, or something like that. Yes. And just, I don't know what it is. Like, he just has this connection with, with That's the elderly. That's totally going to be me and like, you know. <laughs> a uh, hundred years <laughs> i'm not gonna date myself <laughs> but yeah i mean but i love the way that he taught he just completely just jumps into that role as the elder protector of law you know like he, he he's doing it so well and by the way if these bingo cards aren't up on the better call saw breaking bad store by the end of the season uh it oh. i i don't know what you know what they're what they're thinking that's brilliant. I if 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 you guys who create write and have anything to do with the show, if you happen to be listening, but yes, Rick has the I the best thing, the bingo cards. We've got to have those. It seems like these the elderly, you know, little scenes or any kind of elderly type of item. item. It, it seems like they yeah. they are just doing a prime of like, hey, you know, this is pretty cool. Would you want this in the store? Check yes or no type things. And I would absolutely, I check yes on bingo cards. With And I would say yes on Jello. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. I'm sorry, gelatin dessert. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the end. hundred percent feeling for Jimmy's, you know, good deed. He feels like this good deed is is not going to go noticed after he he goes to his office and he's just like, you know. But which by the way, he he was looking to rent a brand new office. Uh something he said to Kim was to uh to be successful, you have to look successful. And mm -hmm. this uh this office space had two very unbelievable, you know, unbelievable views and because of the whole kettleman and he stuff. saved the best one for Kimmy. Yes, saved the best for Kim. She wanted, you know, she mentioned that she wanted to go into elderly law, and it seemed like he got friend zoned there a little bit of just like, yeah, uh, you mm -hmm. know, I got this thing that's way better. Well, I mean, actually, no, I think that that was a little bit better than that because she explained that she's, and this is the first time we realize why she's at. Hamlin and McGill McGill um is or uh, whatever HHM. he it it should be it's because she they paid for her law school so that's another thing that I love about this is about how 
This is a little bit of a reality check about how even though you go to law school and you pass the bar in your state or whatever state you want to represent, that doesn't mean you're going to have success. You're going to be paying that back. Law school is so extremely expensive, and that's what Kimmy is going through. And, you know, she says later that she's gone from owing them two years of her life to now ten. But we can go into that later. But, yeah. So she says to him, like, well, you know, you do know I kind of owe them. I can't just leave. Yeah, it, it's very clear that she's in a different circumstance compared to other people that have gone to law school just because they're a primary benefactor of her going to law school, taking the bar, and – for her to just be like, all right, see, I'm doing this other thing. It would kind of a multitude of things could happen. You know, she may end up having to owe Hammond, Hammond McGill these outrageous fees for going to law school and things like that, where she works for them, you know, I don't know, for take a pay cut, whatever, uh, to, to pay them back in their law mm-hmm. stuff. It, it just opens up a whole can of worms if she's just she just cuts out of there. And she really does have a good gig there. She, like you said. That's true. She mentions that she's two years away from partner prior to losing the Kettleman's and just saying, you know, I'm closer than ever before. And then when she loses the Kettleman's, you know, she's just like, well, you know, worst case scenario, the, this two year, four year plan has turned into a 10 year plan. Uh, I'm not fired. And it's very clear that Jimmy. Uh, and we say this every time they kind of have scenes together. Jimmy has this – he has to do right by her, not not for him. Or... Oh, that's, you know, that that's a very great element to bring into this because I had a question for you a little bit later about what is it that is crushing Jimmy so much, which is, again, why I say this is one of my – I think is my favorite episode because I think now we're really understanding him because we're coming down to the question of – is he disappointed that he's not being successful? Because you know he's got this passion. He wants to do this. He wants to succeed. But he also has a theme for Kimmy. And he wants her to be the part, his partner. So it's kind of like I'm, I'm kind of torn between whether or not it's – is he upset that, that Kimmy can't join him now? And, and what does it take for him to get to that point where she cannot say no? Yeah, it just the the dynamic between Kim and and Jimmy of just why is, you know, he's continuously trying uh, to be with her or you know, work with her or mm-hmm. things like that, but it it's obviously it's not in the cards. I mean, he literally says, "Hey, come be my partner." And she's like, "No, not at all." Very uh, I said earlier, very she, he got put in the friend zone almost for stuff like that and just the entire season they've been working together throwing tips to each other like when the kettlemans left because they were going to get a deal instead of going to trial and went straight to jimmy part of it was because they had handed him a retainer blackmail and uh he wanted to know why why this is happening and she's like yeah you know they're fucking crazy (laughs) and they they don't know what's up up is up or down is down you know whatever Uh, they wouldn't take this deal that i worked my ass off for and she said hey make them come back and if you don't i understand and he pulled out all the stops to to 
to get him to go back. Yeah, he, he, he pretty much paid back every cent that he got. You know, he gave up everything he had. And after a second viewing, I noticed that he, he, he really put the money that he had already there, you know, from the, the little bit of work that he has done back into it to cover the cost. Because he spent quite a bit of money on suits and gelatin for the old folks home and bingo or whatever else it was. He, you know, so he, he really put all of that back and that was such a sad, just broke my heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he had this look of just kind of disdain of like, you know, I have to start all over. I wasn't at the top. I wasn't, you know, necessarily in the middle, but I was working my way up the ladder and to slide all the way back down and start over after I, I've done so much of this stuff is it was very heartbreaking especially at the end because you know he's just like when he gets into the kim's office he he's just like i've i did the right thing and you think the episode's gonna kind of cut out there and go to credits but then all of a sudden the door slams and he's just kicking the hell out of it and because he's just yeah. like man i i did this good thing and the i'm i'm not catching a break here and I think he's still in the zone of what Chuck said of do good things and, and the money will come and he's doing these good right. things mm -hmm. and he just, he did this good thing and he lost money. Well, it's because he did, he kind of did a bad thing and he knew he did a bad thing. He took the money and, you know, because he, he was trying to refuse the money from them when they were at that campsite. It's like, I can't take it. I can't take the money. But he took it, and then, you know, we saw him calculating the money, like, well, um, I did go uh, to lunch, um, I, you know, and he was adding it all up. So he really kind of did a bad thing, and that's how he got what he had, and that's how he would have gotten that office. But I think when he was faced with a dilemma of how it hurt Kemi, and also, not only that, I think, see, that's why I'm not sure if it has everything to do with Kim, or if it has to do with the fact that it's going to hurt his potential because right now he could get all of these, um, you know, folks at the, the retirement home, he can go into elder law, but he would be really tied down and bound by the Kettleman's because they were basically blackmailing him and blackmailing him into taking a unwinnable case. So he was going to have to focus 1000% of his attention to a case that he couldn't win. And that's not going to do anything for him or his career. So I, I you know, I kind of balanced whether or not he did it just for that or because of Kimmy, or I think maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah. I, maybe you might know a little bit more than I would, but if, if they, you know, let's say Hamlin, Hamlin McGill, you know, actually said, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll take this case to trial. If that's what you really want. Uh, what's stopping them to be like, Hey, if you really want to take this, go against us, you know, you pay us, you know, this much mm -hmm. more and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And we, you know, you're going to lose, but you, they, they would be okay. They wouldn't like it. And, you know, I mean, as far as what I kind of understand about attorneys, because they are a firm, they've, they've got a reputation. So losing them what I think what they would do is just kind of play up the, the media attention that they are the ones you know, backing this person, like, you know, like the Johnny Cochran backed OJ Simpson. And then actually 
worked out fine for O.J. Simpson. I mean, well, you know, in the long run, kind, well, maybe not in the long run, but, you know, in that short term. We'll um, save that for the O.J. <laughs> podcast, but, you know, yeah, totally. Yeah, but but that's exactly what it is, is that if you have an, if you have an established firm, you can risk those things by taking those those kinds of clients that are a no-win. And you might actually pull off a win pretty much because of your reputa- reputation. But however, Jimmy has no reputation. And so for that's why I was saying that for him, it's it's that he's starting out and he can't take his first major client as somebody who is is someone that that is no way he's going to win. So you think just if they if somehow they they went to court, Jimmy and if Jimmy would have lost, he would have, you know, granted he may have gotten paid all this money to to represent him. But for them to lose, you would think, damn it, it would damage his reputation that he never had. Well, I mean, it, it's not so much a permanent damage, but that's not a win. And then he has spent all of this time and energy solely on one case where he could go help 600 different elderly folks set up their wills and they're going to be gone soon. And so that's going to pay out quickly. So he could help, he could use that to build up his firm a lot faster than if he was bogged down with one trial. Mm-hmm. No, no matter how big the cost would be. Yeah. I mean, because he's not going to get paid. He's not going to get, you know, if he, if he defends this, these clients, they're not going to have anything. Because they are going, all of their money, all of their assets are going to be frozen and taken away, and they're both going to go to prison. And and as Jimmy said, I might go with you. So, which goes back to that conversation that they were having with the Kettlemans, that she really, was really trying to manipulate him. So I love that he put his foot down and and made it stop. And that that's the other element. Did he do it because he knew where these people were going? They they really were going to blackmail him all the way to the end. Yeah, he was getting his arm twisted, and he he kind of put a stop to that. You're you're hundred percent right. I just I think in reality sense, and maybe this is me just playing uh, devil's advocate, but I think maybe in real life, Hamlin Hamlin McGill would have, despite getting this amazing deal, and the client is just like, no, we're go- we I want to go to trial. I think despite all that, they would have taken the risk and said, okay, well, we'll go to trial. Well, you, you front us, you know, this much more money and we'll go to trial and you sign your thing saying if, you know, we lose, it's not our fault type stuff because. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, and that's why Hamlin's uh, firm could definitely pull that off. And I, what do you quick before we move on to, okay, to yeah. bigger and better things? Um, uh, what did you think that, of of Kim when she failed? Hamlin, kind of moving her away from her office and putting her in. Uh, what, what what did Jimmy say? The cornfield. Cornfield. <laughs> uh, what did, what did you think of that? Was it a punishment or was it just kind of just Hamlin just being a dick? I, I I think he was just obviously being a dick. I I think that that Kimmy or Kim, whatever you want to call her, she was really kind of in a bad place at that time, and Jimmy really kind of swooped in and saved her. 
you know what? I know it's about time that we talk about our sponsor, um, and we need to get into that really soon. But I want to point out something very quickly, something I think I've caught on to. Uh, I heard that there was an Easter egg in the very first episode in some kind of montage. I've been looking and studying everything in the backgrounds, and I don't know if you remember the very opening scene. Uh, Jimmy is sitting on a bench in the courthouse, or, yeah, it was the courthouse, the, the police office courthouse slash courthouse, with, um, with Mike, and there's a poster board behind them of all of these wanted criminals, and they pan down. Did you happen to look at those or study those? I I saw a little bit. I didn't go deep into into names or anything like that. The way they took their time, I knew I had to. So on my second viewing, I stopped each one. I wrote them down. Um, but I caught it right away, actually, the first time, without writing down the names. Because of the way they were moving so slowly... The bottom last one, there was a guy with a big beard. I didn't catch his name or anything the first time around, but I did the second time. And apparently his name is Richard Sanchez. And we see him later. I'm I'm fairly certain of it. I, I, I should go triple check and go back and double check and triple check. But we see him later when Jimmy goes to the bathroom while he's talking to the Kettleman's in the in the diner and he's like i gotta step away and wash my hands or something and he goes and he goes in the bathroom and and he's talking on the phone to kim and kim tells her tells jimmy you know that it's an unwinnable case and in the background there's a guy using the urinal he turns around it's that dude it's the guy that was on the poster, in the bottom poster. I believe he is Richard Sanchez. And my prediction, I know we don't do predictions, but my prediction, I'm going to do it because I have to. My prediction is that next week, the next week's episode is called Rico. I believe that Richard is Rico. And I believe that at the very end of that scene where Jimmy was kicking in the door and he picks up the phone and he gets a phone call, I bet you Richard Rico is calling him for help. And what it said was it was robbery um, and auto theft that he's wanted for. But there was another guy at the top of the list, and he also had the same charge. So I think those two guys are going to somehow come into the show next week. I don't know. Just a guess. And I, you know, I'm sorry. Kick me. I know that I shouldn't do that. That's bad. Bad, bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think Easter eggs, you know, it very... Very interesting Easter egg. It makes the show so much more fun when oh, yeah. you read between the lines or try to, you know, pick up the pieces and I don't, I don't know. Anyways, that is just this is the one that I will do this season that I believe we, might happen. We all I'm get one. Guessing. We all get one. So before we move on <laughs> into our discussion of bingo, we would like to thank our sponsor, Audible. And for we do. Our, for our listeners of the Lawyer Up podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day free trial to give you an opportunity to check out their service. And we would like to kind of give our picks for, you know, because you get there and you're like, holy smokes, there's 150,000 titles. I don't know where to start. But we would <laughs> like to give you guys just kind of our picks on uh, what to choose and, and listen to. So, Jackie, what 
what's your pick this week? Uh, well, yeah, I, I I actually really enjoy these picks each week because it it really kind of shows. And I'm not I'm not being you know sell out here, but I really enjoy Audible. If I didn't have Audible to take on the road when I travel. I don't know what I would do. There's only so many podcasts I can load up in advance on my phone, but I can always go to Audible and click on an audiobook that lasts 10 hours, and I got a 10-hour drive out of it. Well, I hate those 10-hour drives, but they happen. So one, the one thing that I went up, one book that I think would definitely relate to our viewers is called Difficult Men, Behind the Scenes of a Creative Revolution from the Sopranos, and The Wire to Mad Men and Breaking Bad by Brett Martin, narrated by Keith Zarzbachka. <laughs> I totally Sounds bur- right. butchered his. Yeah, okay, thank you. Anyways, it is a book about all of these shows, these shows where, you know, it certainly relates to our show, where you've got, um, you know, an antagonist who's the main character, this guy that you've got, you've got a character that you you want to love but is not great that is not maybe not a very good moral person it's it's not the good guy always wins um it's the fight between that with um you know which which is really just reality is that you know hey we all try to be good but we all make mistakes we all so not well maybe not all of us but some of us fall into traps uh not, not all of us fall into uh, creating the biggest methamphetamine um, <laughs> industry in the world, but you know, or you know, like the Sopranos. But anyways, it's all these bad, the, these behind the scenes of um, how these stories are created. I and I have to admit, I'm only a couple of chapters in. I, I haven't gotten that far, but I love it. And as soon as I'm back in the car and I need my Audible fix, this is the book that I'm going back to. Rick, what have you been up to lately? What have you been listening to? Well, my pick is, uh, because it's hockey season, well, I mean, it's pretty much hockey season all year, but uh, we're kind of in the uh, going into the playoff push. This book is uh, actually about a fake team uh, called the Chiefs, uh, the Charlestown Chiefs, and if you've ever seen the movie Slapshot, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Slapshot's one of the funniest hockey comedies of all time. And that's even better than the Mighty Ducks. This book is actually about the behind the scenes of of Slapshot. The book is called The Making of Slapshot, Behind the Scenes of the Greatest Hockey Movie Ever Made. Jackie, are you familiar with the movie Slapshot? I I believe I am. I The name was so familiar that I went and looked it up uh, right before we got started. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, but I... I definitely, if it if it's very sports intensive, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so Slapshot isn't necessarily a sports movie. It's more of a comedy movie, and it's highly regarded as one of the funniest movies of all time. And it's talks about just kind of the behind the scenes of uh, some of the some of the scenes of like putting the foil on uh, on your fists for for fighting and going into just. Some of the roles that, you know, could have been played by somebody else. Uh, Paul Newman, I believe, played played the main character, uh, Reggie Dunlap. And uh, originally, Al Pacino was picked as the, as the guy. And uh, obviously, he couldn't do it. And Slapshot ended up being one of the, if 
funniest movies of all time. If you that 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 totally rings a bell. I probably have, and it's buried somewhere in my uh, memory that where I, if it has any sports or something, I I just kind of go there, go there. But no, I mean, I mean, there's actually a lot of great entertainment related sports that I I've enjoyed, even though I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah, and so it goes in depth. It, it t- talks to. So you think this is a, this is the kind of thing where someone like myself, because I keep mentioning it, but you think this is something like where someone like myself, who may not be the biggest sports person, would still really enjoy it because of the the, the comedy sake. Yes, a hundred percent. It's uh, I consider it a comedy more than more than a hockey movie. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious, and the author interviews. Uh, 50, about 50 cast members, uh, production staff, and anybody who was involved in, in the film creation. So uh, awesome. the making of Slapshot behind the scenes of the greatest hockey movie ever made. It's written by Jonathan Jackson and uh, narrated by Fleet Cooper. And if you have 10 hours, it's an unabridged book, and it's, it's an unbelievable listen. I think that's funny. We both picked 10-hour books that have to do with behind the scenes and the creation of something, which is exactly what we are trying to – I think that aligns for – how did we do that? I mean this was completely unplanned. I said in the beginning, we are, we are just on sync this, this, this go around. Uh, rock so, on. Rock on. So if you can pick one of our recommendations or you can you know dive right in into any other book and – in Audible's library, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from. You can access on your PC, iPhone, Android, or Kindle device. All you have to do is just go to www.audibletrial.com slash lawyer up, and you'll get a 30-day free trial and one free book to, to pick whatever your heart desires to listen to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... You have a point about the Mike cold open. So Mike, we start off with the episode, not with a flashback, uh, which what we've been doing for most of the series. We, we start in, in the present and we talk, I mean, Mike and, and Jimmy are at the station and it's very clear that, you know, the notebook was taken and the Philly lawyers are just like, you know, or the Philly, not lawyers, the Philly interrogators are like, you know, you, uh, mainly one guy is just like, you know, Hey, you know, you took my notebook. Uh, you're, he was, he was pissed off cause they took his notebook. The other guy knew Mike. Yeah. You could tell there was a little bit of difference between the two. One of the big things that was said was, uh, uh, so hopefully whatever you are doesn't rub off on your family because they're, they're going to see his uh, daughter-in-law to kind of get questions. And then mm-hmm. they kind of, you know, the, the 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 bad cop i should say uh, the the white guy were i can't remember his name but he he leaves mike and the other guy without jimmy mm-hmm. uh you know they kind of have a heart to heart of yeah mike dismisses jimmy says get out of here i can talk cuz he kn- he obviously has a connection with this guy he knows he can talk to them um, without fear of getting you know. in trouble or emitting mm-hmm. things and which by the way mike again doesn't doesn't admit anything even uh, i mean we talked about it we talked about it last week where he basically openly admits to doing it without admitting to to doing it to his daughter and he does it with the but he does he kind of does it with this guy he says 
because he says, well, you know, when we're done here, we we could talk to your daughter-in-law. But the, after that, if she's got nothing to say, this is done. We're done here. And he and he says, what would she what would she say? And Mike says, you know, honestly, I don't think she would tell you much. But so he's kind of alluding to the fact that there is something she could say, but she's not going to say much. You know, so so you're right. Like he he's kind of hinting that. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I killed those guys that killed my son for absolutely no reason. Wouldn't you? But he doesn't do it in the way where he puts himself in danger at all. So, like, actually, Jimmy could use Mike for legal advice when talking to clients. Yeah, and the, even the the other interrogator said, you know, hey, you know, some people may say that they both deserve this. But I mm-hmm. may or may not be one of those people that, you know, that think that they deserved it. And it's very inside baseball conversation almost of just like, you know, hey, you know, you may have done this, but if you did, uh, I think they deserved it. Or, you know, it, if I did do it, I definitely would not be talking to your, you know, daughter. Things like things like that. It's unbelievable how. Mike, again, toes the line of just, I did this, but I didn't do this. Very clear on on his wordings. And mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable. It just like he said, it, Jimmy could learn learn a thing or two from, from Mike of just <laughs> like, you know, keeping your mouth shut. Which, by the way, Mike is literally before the whole thing starts of just like, hey, don't talk unless, you know, I tell you to talk. And then Mike is, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, guy, I know what I'm doing. So it, it was very, it was very interesting to kind of have that wrap up, especially when last week's, you know, teaser, they, they were just, it seemed like it was going to be a primary focus on, on that stuff, which again, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll kind of touch on this a little bit. I don't know if AMC cuts those, uh, or, or the producers of Better Call Saul, you know, cut them because if it's Better Call Saul's producers that are cutting them, it's very smart to, to be, you know, focus on something like that and make it seem like something's gonna happen and then something. Yeah, because I think I think the teaser was Jimmy saying, you know, the these guys they want me just as much as they want those, tied into those this, Philly cheesesteaks. Want you know, think I'm yeah, Philly cheesesteaks, right? You know, think I'm a part of this too, and it, it seemed very heavy on on that stuff. But it was such a small portion of what this show was. Um, well, I mean, there was another sneak peek that was on the website, and that was just Jimmy taking Kimmy around the the rental area and they talked about setting up i loved it i absolutely loved it uh setting up the cracker barrel chairs rocking chairs in his office and all that stuff like i thought anyways it was great but um yeah but yeah you're right uh so before we wrap up here uh, you had a couple a last couple things to to point out in the episode just my one of my favorite quotes. I'm I'm really racking up my favorite quotes from this series so far, and I I think when we wrap up at the end, I want to do something where we get our listeners to kind of chime in on theirs as well. But one of my favorite my favorite quote of this episode was Jimmy talking to the Kettleman's in their house when he basically 
points out, hey, you don't have it. Oh, by the way, I love watching Betsy Kettleman run up the stairs in a panic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and she comes downstairs and she's like, look, you can't do anything. You're going to be our attorney because you, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And Jimmy says something like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm in a real pickle. And he says, um, and then he starts to explain that so are you, uh, Betsy Kettleman, because now you're going to be involved and you're going to face a prison sentence. And, and then, and then the kind of the light bulb goes off in her head that, you know, she doesn't, which is why I think that she doesn't give a damn about her husband. But, you know, she, she realizes that she might face this, this too. And Jimmy says, Hey, it's, it won't be that bad. You know, I mean, you'll probably get conjugal visits between in, interprison conjugal visits. And he says, uh, and, and he points to Betsy and he says, you, you're probably going to end up running your own game. Um, yeah, just the, the quick uh, one-liners. The one that kind of stood out for me is uh, Jimmy talking to the Kettlemans of just like, can we, you know, because they're like, if we stole this money. When, you know, he literally saw them, you know, he saw <laughs> no. the bag open in front of his eyes. Uh, and he said, can we parachute down from cuckoo land uh, on this money <laughs> thing? And it it's really... It's unbelievable how they can still pack these one-liners in uh, in this what basically has become a drama. When this was announced, people were like, "Oh, is this is comedy, you know, drama, dramedy, whatever." It's very much drama with lines that kind of cut the tension. Uh, you know, if they didn't have these one-liners, it'd be very you know a tense, serious, you know, oh, you know, lawyers and bad guys, whatever. And it's very nice for the writers to continue to let Jimmy be Saul's, you know, have Saul's personality from Breaking Bad and have these witty one-liners. I don't know if these are, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that these are written, but I'm sure a take or two, they, they're just like, hey, Bob, just throw in some, some funny things and we'll try things out. And I'm sure one of these days that we're going to see a gem of a line that when they're talking in the Paley festival and they're like, Oh yeah, that line, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. line was uh, improvised by Bob. We had nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, what, what I have heard is that he really does very little improvising. However, like I said, as, as a student of Bob Odenkirk's comedy, <laughs> you know, I feel like I know him so well. And one other thing I wanted to point out very quickly is I love the way he answers the phone. Like, You've reached the uh, legal office of Jimmy McGill. Uh, that that voice, I've heard it before, and I was trying to, I mean, I've heard it many, many a times, because I've watched everything Bob has ever done, you know, but he, he uh, there's one particular scene in Mr. Show with Bob and David. If you have not checked out Mr. Show with Bob and David, I'm sorry. Check it out. Uh, it's absolutely great. But he, there's one scene. And so for those of you that are Mr. Show fans, you will know about how um, he does this QVC set where they're selling pans. 
and he's trying to sell Nancy all these different pans. And he knocks um, Nancy over the head with a pan, and then he burns her hand with a pan, because there's so much you can do with this pan. And, you know, just totally making fun of QVC. But it's the exact same. I, I, it took me all of this time to pinpoint which one of those voices Bob Odenkirk was using, and I nailed it. So there's that's to you, Mr. Show fans. And sorry for everyone else, but uh, there's that. Oh, by the way, I want to point out one last thing. I love seeing the Kettleman's in the back seat of Jimmy's car when Jimmy pulls up or parks in the parking garage and hand delivers them back to Kim. Mm-hmm. On that, that was very, very subtle, and it was the only thing that uh, Kim did was just mouth the words "thank you." Yeah. Oh, it was so sweet. I love them. I love so much. I want to marry Jimmy. <laughs> And I think I think that's all he really wanted was just a thank you. Yeah, it was, it was. This is why I love this episode. We really saw what was important to him, and why. And I mean, because even one scene that we completely kicked missed over, but we don't need to go into was the Chuck part because it was such a small part. But when Chuck went outside and he wanted to expose himself as much as he could to get himself acclimated back into, you know, the electric culture. He, you could see the look of pride on his face that, that he could tell that Chuck really was, he was definitely suffering with something and he was really giving it his best. Yes, I agree. I think that we have more of Chuck's redemption coming up. I can't wait to see it. And if you would like to talk about Jimmy's fall from grace or chuck's redemption of going back and experiencing electricity for 120 seconds at a time please leave a voicemail at 505-750-1760 or you can email us at lawyeruppodcast at gmail.com you can hit us up on twitter at at lawyeruppodcast and you can also check out our website at lawyeruppodcast.com also subscribe to us on itunes stitcher or any other podcast catcher that you have. We absolutely love it for you to subscribe, leave us reviews. We we will read everyone and we will fill you with praise. So Jackie, I know you have uh, some special thanks to, to kind of throw out. Oh, absolutely. We, we would be nothing without these people. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sebastian Gonzalez. He's been there for quite a few other podcasts that I've done as well. He's he's created this most amazing album art. And not only that, all I had to do was suggest it to him via Twitter, and you can get him at S-E-B-G-O-N-Z. I gave him a, a brief idea of what I wanted it to look like. I, I said I wanted Lawyer Up to look like an ad. I wanted it to look like something that went in the yellow pages. And boom, within... A couple of hours, he had this incredible artwork that makes us legitimate. So the other thing that makes us legitimate is the awesome friend that we have in Johnny Feisty, who also you can commission by reaching him at J-O-H-N-N-Y-F-I-E-S-T-Y, Johnny Feisty. I gave him some ideas. I, I Basically, I gave him links to... He was definitely already a fan of Breaking Bad. He knew the music behind that. But then I gave him the, the uh, before the series came out, there was that background music that we got, or the Better Call Saul, 
you know, gotten a bin, better call Saul. You know, everybody knows that. I gave him that music and I said, we would like something kind of Southwestern like that. And within maybe a, a one day, he composed our music for us. And the music you hear that we're going to lead out with, he can do that for you too. So you could do your own fan cast. Hit up these people. They'll make it look awesome. So, Jackie, where can people find you on, on the interwebs? Oh, they already know where to find me, and they're sick of me. But, yeah, I'm at Jackie Hearn 81 uh, But I, I do want to point out that I do, if you happen to like House of Cards, I am doing a podcast for the British Tech Network. So that's BritishTechNetwork.com. They also have a Patreon. They have some great, if you're a techie kind of person, I would definitely... I encourage you to go check out their website. So, but Rick, where can people find you? People can find me uh, at rickfoster.org and on Twitter at rickfoster. I actually recently just uh, did a kind of a, uh, I have this new camera and I did a little kind of video testing on YouTube, uh, a 1080p, 60 frames per second. I was on the Colorado avalanche ice and I decided to mess around with the camera a little bit. Something Kind of fun, but yeah, I I'll I'll pin it uh, on the top, and you'll see you'll see the video, and hopefully more videos will, will come. By the way, um, you also you do something you have something kind of big that that has a large audience about wrestling. I am actually going to uh, California. I'm going to go to a whole bunch of wrestling events with uh, one Justin Robert Young and Metsula of Las Vegas fame. Not not the show, but the city and. Petey Rave of the great uh, indie wrestling Fanny podcast. Pack. Fanny yeah, Pack. Yeah, he does a lot of great things. And yeah. uh, he does uh, other podcasts as well. So we're going there. We're going to watch WrestleMania together. We're going to be bros. And then we're going to go to uh, the Raw afterwards. And hopefully I'll I'll put up a video of all the cool stuff that, that happened in the weekend. Maybe we'll run and do uh, celebrities uh, because that's what happens <laughs> when I'm in public and I – have a few drinks in me and I muster up the courage. <laughs> well, I, you know, like I say, I don't know much about sports, I, uh, but I mean, any sports, including wrestling. However, I have been a guest on the Fanny Pack um, show <laughs> twice uh, when talking about female wrestling, but I, I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. So I, I would actually encourage if you're, you know, if you kind of like into that whole entertainment end of wrestling, Absolutely. I think that these guys are the guys to listen to when they talk about, uh, you know, or review or, or go into their thoughts about these shows. That's where the entertainment comes from. Yes. Uh, PD Rave and uh, DJM, they, they host the Fanny Pack Wrestling Podcast. Uh, you can follow them at Fanny Pack WP and get your introduction on in independent wrestling. You can also go to FannyPackWrestling.com and find their podcast as well. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to next week. I'm so sad. We've only got a couple more episodes. Man, this is this has moved so quickly. Yes. Uh, three more episodes left. And until uh, next week, Jackie Hurry. Lawyer up. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>